season three of Six to Sixteen. As we kick off this new series, we are going to be diving into a topic that is very relevant to each and every one of us as believers, and it is to do with being mature as a Christian, but also in Christ. And we're going to be touching on several different things as we walk on through this. So, without any further ado, let's hop straight back into this first series. Aries, thank you. Um, so we were discussing from the book of Hebrews, chapter six, verse one. That's the uh, that's really what the discussion is on. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, and of laying on of hands and of, of a resurrection of the dead and of eternal punishment. And this will we do if God permits. That's really, the, I guess, what I've given as a topic. And uh, we should pray first. Yeah. Would you like to do that for us, Reese? Yeah, okay, sure. Lord, I thank you for allowing us to come back together especially after, um, after back for a long period of time, to be able to, to dig into your word again and to find the truth within it and to apply it to our lives, but also that those who are listening are also stirred to, to grow in you, that they do come to know you more, come to know you more deeply, to trust you more and to understand your attributes, your traits and your nature more, that we see the world through your eyes and we stand on the tenets that are founded and grounded in your word. We understand it is that it's your will that we bow to and we ask that everything we do do is in accordance to your will and that people are blessed as we attempt to crack open the truths of your word and grow closer to yourself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 So let me just check. Okay, so we were just prior to uh, this session, we were just having a chat about Jesus and how in Hebrews 4 it says that seeing then we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a, an high priest or a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need. So I thought that links in nicely with what I was uh, talking about uh, earlier, and also what we're going to be discussing. So in the in the um, podcast, I'd sent out three questions, yeah? Uh, the first question was, what is a mature Christian? And the second question is, how can I move on to maturity in Christ? And the third question is, what will be the effect of, uh, what will be, will be the effect if or of when I become mature in Christ? Let me read that again. What will, will be the effect uh, of or if when I become mature in Christ. 
So I think it might be, maybe we can just uh, continue with the discussion with what is a mature Christian. Um, so that's really what my uh, discussion is around, based on Hebrews 6, because clearly the writer is saying that we need to leave. Therefore, not necessarily leave in the sense of not coming back to them again, but moving on from, yeah? Mm. A bit like a foundation. You don't leave a foundation when you build a house. You build on top of it, yeah? Mm. But if you're forever building a foundation, you're never going to get a building up, are you? Mm. Foundations do take a long time. You know, they have to be done properly. I think it's probably the one uh, thing that takes the longest in, in building a house. It can take quite a while to get the foundation right. Uh, because it's so important for the foundation to be right. Otherwise, you can have subsidence. You can have all kinds of issues, underwater issues, earthquake issues. There's lots of things, you know, uh, mm. to consider. So the writer of Hebrews here is saying, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Not, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. And then he gives some examples. He says of the doctrine of baptisms and of the laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And the most critical part, and this will we do if God permit. So the reason why this topic came to me was because, you know, uh, Brother Andre, our, you know, uh, Russian brother. Oh, uh, yes. Preaching from the book of, um, uh, separate to Andre here in the, the chat. So he's been discussing a lot from the book of Acts. And all of these issues were touched in our discussion in our midweek services, talking about baptisms, talking about laying of hands. And uh, we talked about some other things as well. So, and even just now, we were talking about resurrection before the, the actual session began. So that's, that's my point, really. So is the writer here saying that we should move on from these you know so in order to go on to perfection is the writer uh, in the book of hebrews which i believe is paul that's another controversy with people um is he saying we are to leave or build upon or what's the what's what do you think is the message here and how how does that affect us as christians today in the light of what the bible is saying And I'll, I'll leave that on open. Got any thoughts on that, Andre? Or... Um, I'll let uh, I'll let Reese go first on this one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can. It's definitely not of oh, okay. We've spoke about this before. Let's forsake this and move on to other things. I don't think that's what Paul is trying to say at all, or the author is trying to say at all. Um, in, in this passage, I think it is very much a case of, and uh, I don't want to say I'm reading into it backwards, but in terms of drawing out, but there is, does seem to be this, um, this duality where if you were to talk to particular Christians today, they are stumbling over like the, the fundamental parts of the faith, which should really just be like common foundational knowledge. Or things that just okay, what does this mean? Oh, I'm not sure. That, okay, but how have you gone on like 30, 40 plus years and you haven't discussed or you know tried to get your head around 
these sorts of things. So to set up with the, um, mm. so that we get, uh, I don't know, we're just like the baptism thing. It's just like, okay, like, have you not considered the prospect that the, because these are like eyewitness accounts that, um, they're essentially just like normal eyewitness accounts you would have in terms of like criminology where they're saying the same thing just in a slightly different manner. Um, one argument I've heard is that, oh, you know, Pranvia might say it's 10 to 7, but I might say it's um, 6.50. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing, it's just phrased differently, but, you know, people are stumbling over these things. Like, okay, no, they you know this. It's just that the baptism sort of thing. Okay, it's the sacrament that we we hold and then okay now we've got that concrete let's move on to something else but it seems to be this thing of oh this minor issue because of my lack of understanding i'm going to hold somebody else who is also legally lacking in understanding to this because this person said this and this person said this but then it particularly into this particularly on this um topic of the, the baptism thing it's like well if you continue arguing for it long arguing about it long enough People from the outside, not even talking about Christendom, because I guess outside of Christendom, uh, outside of like, the denomination, it's not a particular issue in terms of like the names and stuff. But um, people will think that the scripture is inconsistent. Mm. You know, it contradicts itself. So then, if it contradicts itself here, then everything else contradicts itself. So it's just like the little things that just get blown up. Um, either get blown up, or there's just like a serious lack of understanding on something that is quite straightforward and definitely in comparison to Christian history has always been taught and it's been very straightforward. So it's, um, yeah, it's just one of those things that I've seen where it's just like, you can have a conversation with a Christian thinking, oh yeah, like they're completely mature because I see this and I see this. But then when you ask them certain things about things that you would think they would know about, it's just like, how, how did you arrive there? Oh, well, because of this, this, and this. Okay. But the Bible says this, yeah, yeah, but I've been listening to, I don't know, like a feminist and they believe that all Christians are such and such as, okay, so you're drawing from outside the scripture to defend something and you're also siding with someone who is, um, I don't know, is the word antithetical? I don't know. Oh, anti-Christian. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, okay, so how, how have you, have you arrived here? Like who's poured into you? Who's thought, you know what, let's sit down, let's get these things built on. And then once you've got this set, you can then grow and then you can build and build and build and build until, you know, um, you can be effective in all areas, but it's just like the little things that we seem to be falling over. I think it's, I'd have to read it through because I guess with the Hebrews, they would have had a a strong Jewish understanding, but I guess it's, um, it has a slightly different meaning with them understanding like the the deity of Christ and how that all transitions from the old testament all the old covenant to the new covenant and that sort of thing but for in terms like for us it does seem to kind of pull in that sort of thing of we're stumbling over things that really as Christians shouldn't be an issue (laughs) I think some good points there Um, I don't know Andre if you wanted to add to that yeah definitely I'd say when you're talking about what are what is the beginning uh, that we start from, I don't know if I'm cutting out a little bit here. No, no, you're fine. Um, so where it says, wherefore leaving the beginning of the doctrine of Christ. 
Well, first we have to ask, like, what is the beginning of the doctrine of Christ? If you don't have the beginning down, then you don't have anything down. Um, you can't learn to read and write without first understanding how to make letters, right? You have to learn these um, basic things, right? The beginning of doctrine is basically Matthew 16, 15 to 18. That's the beginning of doctrine. Who do we say that Christ is? Uh, if we acknowledge that he is the Lord and that he is a, you know, consubstantial with the father he has the same honor that is due to the father then we begin that's the beginning of the journey mm -hmm. uh you know repentance and and baptism is also the beginning of the journey because whenever you see in the new testament new new converts being brought into the church it's always repent and be baptized it's never just repent it's always you must be born of water and spirit right so it's both it's uh that's the beginning when you when you have that initial washing away then you begin the journey the true journey mm -hmm. so what i think paul is saying and this is also i'm taking this from um saint john chrysostom who's a a, a, a patristic doctor from uh, maybe about 400 ad he would say that you know you begin in in baptism and having a strict life that's the beginning if you don't have a strict life in the faith and you don't follow the uh, the ordinances that are given you know christianity was called the way in the beginning meaning that there's two ways there's one of life there's one of death this is all in the this is also noted in the didache um and the way to death is to not follow the law of christ the way to life is to follow it so the beginning of faith and repentance is to make your life strict what do we mean by this we mean do what he tells you to do it's very simple do what you're told <laughs> it's like it's just that's why it's referred to as being a babe if you're not mature because you're not doing what you're told hmm. and it's that's the beginning of becoming an adult is learning that there are rules and that you can only function safely and correctly in society if there are rules if society has rules how much more does the kingdom of heaven have rules hmm. <laughs> right it's it's a one-to-one -one analogy um you have to follow the rules and we have rules you know first the ten commandments then we also have what the ten commandments hang on which is love towards your neighbor and uh, love towards god that's it once you do that you start you can move on to the more complex things but until you get those basics down loving your neighbor as you love yourself and loving god and having no other gods before him you cannot move to anything more than that this mm -hmm. is why i think paul's getting angry at them because he's like you can't even get the basics down. How am I going to teach you anything of substance? You know? So I think that's, I think that's what's going on there. Okay. Um, if I can come back. Um, I think you mentioned a couple of points there. Yeah. That you've got to, in order to, you, you've pointed to uh, some references from Christian tradition, from the Orthodox tradition. Uh, you mentioned about the Didi, what was it? The Didache? Yeah, the Didache. That's the, it's a doc. Oh, you cut out, you're frozen on that. 100 AD. It's um it's called sometimes it's called the Catechism of the Apostles. Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the Didache, it's called the it's called the two ways because it was oh. um, you know, scripture wasn't written down in the beginning. So it's it's literally just uh we'd call it a catechism a catechetical book 
meaning it's just a book on instruction to Christians. Hmm. And it, it's literally, it's just Matthew, really. It's yeah. just Matthew written down um, uh, saying for this, in this instance, what do you do? And it's just, it'll be quotations of Matthew. So if anybody tells you that we don't have any scripture from before 280 or something, you can just point them very clearly to the Didache and this is written down. But yeah, it's just a catechetical book saying, this is what you must do in order to be saved. Okay. That's it really. Well, Paul, uh, just taking that a little bit on further, yeah? you talked about being saved, being a Christian, believing in the basics, and also moving on to perfection. Yeah. Uh, in, in a lot of what you said, it talked about more or less having a reverence and a fear for God. Yeah. Now, it's interesting that in um, just before Hebrews 6 1, because as you know, there are no chapter or verse divisions mm. in the Greek Testament. Yeah. Although it's believed this, this was written in probably Hebrew by Paul. Uh, some people believe that, yeah, or whoever the writer was. And it says, um, so if we try and put Jesus into here, you will see a very, very good connection. So if you go back to Hebrews 5, verse 11, it says, uh, in fact, let's go to verse 8. Though he were a son, although he was a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. Wow. Now, what does that mean? He's saying that Christians were becoming in this church of the Hebrews wherever this was, they were becoming dull of hearing. It says, for when, by the time you ought to be teachers, long-standing Christians, yeah? You need that one teacher again to be the first, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. And everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, this is taken from the authorized or King James Version. Yeah? So can you see now how suddenly chapter 6-1 becomes much more tangible yeah, or yeah, realistic yeah. and the context has been revealed that you had a church here where they seem to be regressing in their faith, in their maturity. So Paul tells us what they should have been able to do. So the first question is, what is the sign of a mature Christian? Look what it says. Verse 12. A mature Christian should be able to teach others, number one, yeah? Mm. Number two, a mature Christian is someone who is on the meat of the word, okay? Someone who really knows the word doesn't just take a little bit of a sip of the word, like milk, but goes deep, feasts on it, yeah? Like we love to feast on KFC on a Friday evening, on a weekend, yeah? That's how we, we're here yeah, on a Friday evening having our takeaway here, a spiritual takeaway, yeah? And everyone, and he's skillful in the word. Can you see by implication? A babe is unskillful, so a mature Christian must be skillful in the word. 
So can you see it says strong meat belongs to those who are of full age. Number four, I think I'm on. He's a person who has experience. He says who even by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern between good and evil. So they by experience, by using their senses spiritually, they, they are now ready to discern between good and evil. Yeah. So in today's time, particularly in the environment that we are in, we are being warped, our minds are being warped by the media. You know, the enemy is sending out so much on the media because we are in a social media electronic age now. Mm -hmm. And it makes no difference to Satan. He's loving it. Makes his life easier. Doesn't need to do all this voodoo nonsense, yeah? He just needs to get people hooked into apps, just needs to get people following. And guess what? He's got their minds. See how skill, see how skillful an enemy he is. It doesn't, he doesn't discriminate. He knows the end result is to destroy. And if he has to use the internet, if he has to use social media, it's doing his job. If he has to use politics, doing his job. If he has to use false teachers, false doctrine, doing his job. Doesn't need to throw down great power. Doesn't need to send in missiles flying left, right, and center spiritually. Such an easy and efficient way to carry on destroying people just because they are unskilled in the word, just because they are doubting the first principles, yeah? Just because they are laying, again, the foundation of repentance. But there's no need. There was not a need. Look carefully. in. Um, look at what Jesus did. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered and being made perfect or complete. So the, the lesson here is, Jesus has experienced everything that we are going through, that we will ever face. And if we turn to him as our high priest, he can take us to that point of maturity. But it costs something. Look carefully in verse, uh, I think it said, I might have missed that. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation in verse 9, unto all them that obey him. Mm. Now there is the problem. Obey him, just two words, yeah? So the victory lies in those who obey Christ. If we want victory over falling back into sin, regressing in the faith, being bombarded by the weapons of the, you know, of the enemy, we really need to surrender to our high priest. We really need to obey Jesus by his Holy Spirit who lives in us, yeah? And that's how we move on to maturity. So going back to the original question, if I can just read that again, what is a mature Christian? We've answered that. The next question was, I think I've sort of answered it. How can I move on to maturity in Christ? But I'm going to take a pause there. Let's allow you guys to come back in. Yeah. Yeah, as well. I don't know. Sure. Uh, Rishi, got anything to say? There is something that's churning around in my head, but I'll let you go first. Because it, 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 it's a lot of the stuff that Pramvia said. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. There's, there's a lot that can. 
Uh, go, yeah, no, I'll let you go. I'll let you go. I'll yeah, no try worries, and, no worries. yeah, I need to organize in my head first before. Yeah, yeah, no worries, man, no worries. <laughs> so um, what I would say is <clears throat> these set of scriptures right here, they are the strongest um, admonishment uh, and rebuke to the sect that calls themselves the Anabaptists. Anna meaning re and you know, Baptist meaning baptize, right? Traditionally, this was used as a way of saying you shouldn't rebaptize someone once they've been baptized because the baptism is the beginning of repentance. So you can't be rebaptized. And the reason why it's used this way is because you were getting people who were falling back into the old Jewish practices. I, I, maybe you've seen, heard of this before, but in, in Judaism, ritual washings for cleansings of sin were done multiple times it wasn't just one baptism they did it over and over again probably yearly even you know during feasts and fasts they would do rebaptisms. being that the first set of christians were jewish christians they were still holding on to uh, some of the symbolism and some of the rituals from the old calendar and the old ways um they hadn't quite moved on from that uh, and in Second Temple Judaism, you know, there was all kinds of uh, different sects. There, there, it wasn't just one type of Judaism. There was many types of Judaism that were floating about. And a lot of them did rebaptism. So right here, what you're seeing is Paul talking to the Jews, you know, the Jewish Christians and saying, look, this type of baptism that we have is not one that you it's not like a, a ritual washing that you just, you know, you can redo over and over and over again. And it keeps you know, beginning your journey. No, this is the one baptism that was foreshadowed throughout the whole of the Old Testament. This is the one baptism that gets you in, that begins your uh, journey into the kingdom of heaven, right? Be becoming part of the body. You can't do this one more time. You, Christ only died once, mm. not twice, not three mm. times, not four times, right? So you can only do this type of baptism once. So that's, and this is echoed all through uh, patristic teachings, so by patristic, I just mean um, old, <laughs> old teachings of the church, that this is uh, the church you know, you fathers, have yeah. Yeah, yeah, church fathers. They all say that you shouldn't rebaptize even. So I know that maybe people in the West are a bit more familiar with Augustine. Um, and he, he says the same thing because you had people who are coming from Christian sects that were outside of the church who were baptized. And he even said, you know, don't rebaptize them, just accept them in the church, lay on hands, anoint them and let them in don't rebaptize them so that's another thing i would add to this that's interesting you know when you mentioned about um rebaptizing people baptize i mean that's interesting because i've been looking into what baptism actually is you know we have a number of controversies and one of the controversies i think that andre mentioned was you know baptizing in the name of jesus mm -hmm. baptizing in the name of the father son and holy spirit yeah this is a big one isn't it yeah uh, Trinitarian or, you know, Unitarian uh, views. And here's the problem, yeah? If you take Jesus out the picture, both are wrong. <laughs> yeah? See, every time I try and show you the scripture, I try and point to Jesus. That, and that's how we should interpret the word, interpret the word of God. Yeah, We should always put Jesus in the picture because it's all him. So let's look at this baptism thing, yeah? We are baptized into Christ, yeah, when we become Christians, both spiritually, yeah, 
and physically when we were water baptized yeah now in in protestant uh, kind of uh, evangelical interpretation understanding is that the water baptism is representative yeah and uh, in eastern orthodox orthodox greek orthodox or russian orthodox it will be that you actually get when you're baptized that's the moment where the spiritual change it's participatory yeah participatory so in other words that's when it happens yeah but the important thing is here's where people can go wrong yeah isn't the important thing to believe and be baptized so if you if you look at uh, mark 16 yeah um let's look at the repentance and baptism for a second yeah because that's mentioned laying on of hands and repentance and all of that so i i thought it was a good idea just to read what the gospels say about that and my first reading comes from the last section of mark so mark 16 let's just turn to that and the words of jesus are in red which is nice so in verse 15 onwards from chapter 16 mark 16 15 onwards to 20 and he said unto them go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature so every creature meaning every person in the world yeah and he that believeth the first thing he says he that believeth he who believes and is baptized you see you have to have the faith as well as the baptism you, in fact you should not be baptized if you don't have the faith you're not really that baptism is wasted you're not really baptized into christ unless you first believe in christ but he that believeth shall believeth not shall be damned so you see how important jesus is placing on the um idea of faith he doesn't say he that believeth not and is not baptized shall be damned he says he that believeth not shall be damned not everybody gets the chance to be baptized doesn't mean that you're going to go to hell if you believe salvation comes by faith yeah however if you have the opportunity to be baptized you should be baptized yeah that's mm. that's really important and these signs shall follow in uh, in uh, follow them that believe in my name they shall cast out devils they shall speak with tongues and they shall take up serpents and if they drink any deadly thing it shall not hurt them they shall lay hands on the sick there's the laying on of hands you see how it all connects together from hebrews 6 1 the first principles was that we should move away from baptisms and laying on of hands and all of that yeah so according to the writer of hebrews those are basic things in the faith but let's just go and have a look at the end of matthew's gospel matthew says from verses from chapter 28 the last three verses and jesus came and spake unto them and saying all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the father son and of the holy ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever i have, I have commanded you and, and lo i am with you always even unto the end of the world amen or the end of the age depending on the translation here we have something really incredibly different to what's written in the book of acts they are baptizing people but jesus says he, uh, they're baptizing in the name of the lord but here it says baptize them in the name of the father son and holy spirit and there's that's where our controversy is is water baptism in the name of the father son and holy spirit or is it in the name of jesus yeah and if you look in the book of acts it clearly shows it was in the name of jesus yeah that appears to be a contradiction 
And that's where the problem is. If you go down that route, you can end up in error. So I'll explain what I mean. So if you say that baptism is in the name of Jesus only, you've got a problem. Because then here Jesus is saying baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So what do you do with this first? Well, i tell you what we don't do. We don't start making up ideas and twists and turns, something along the lines of it was added by the Catholic Church. You know, you don't do that to the scripture. When you have what appears to be a contradiction, you need to go back to the word of God and find out why that contradiction appears to be there. And notice I use the word appears to be a contradiction, yeah? Mm. So this is a commandment. Jesus commanded. Okay, so what we should have is an understanding that Jesus commanded us to go out, command his, his disciples to go into all the world and baptize, preach the gospel and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, well, that's one line you could take, yeah? But that's undeniable because that's in line with scripture. So let's go to the book of Acts. Why are they struggling with this? Or why does it appear to be that there's a contradiction? So in the book of Acts, it says that they're all baptizing in the name of the Lord or in the name of the Lord Jesus. Even Paul baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So what is going on? And that's where the problem is. So can you see the writer of Hebrews is saying, we need to move away from these controversies to maturity. So the question is, do we need to understand why they were doing that before we can move on to maturity? That's my question to the panel, panels, uh, panelists here. Yeah? Do we need to reconcile those two scriptures before we can mature in Christ? Yes. Yeah, I'll I say why. I would say, yeah. Okay. Because right. if you if you affirm, if you're a Christian, you have to affirm mm -hmm. that the scripture is inerrant. If you don't affirm this in, inerrant, you're not a Christian. I'm sorry. That's okay. just how it works, right? Um, like, and I'm going to give a couple of reasons why it should be in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, nothing else. Okay. Um, in the early times of Christianity, we had many different sects who were all competing against the, the real church. Mm -hmm. And yes, there was a real church that had real, uh, that only recognized one baptism. In fact, Paul goes to great lengths to say that there's only one baptism. There's only one faith. There's only one church, right? In Ephesians. So if we look here, it says they baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay. Well, if we look at different parts of scripture, does it not say that the fullness of the Godhead is in Jesus? Right. So when you, when you use the term Jesus, you're referencing the Trinity. Um, so we could, that's one way of reconciling, uh, reconciling it. Okay. Another way is that when they say in the name of the G in the name of Jesus, they're saying they might be referring, not might be, they are referring to the Christian form of baptism not a jewish form of baptism or a gnostic form of baptism or this and that type of baptism the christian church's form of baptism okay oh andre's cut out for a second there oh you're back again <laughs> you, you've lost sound for a second andre yeah there's no sound some reason your sound was gone yeah you've lost sound okay but okay we'll wait for Andre to come back on yeah but let okay. me just reiterate his point so the way to reconcile Andre saying scripture is 
that look at the scriptures relating to Jesus as being the full representation of the Godhead on earth, yeah? And in the book of Hebrews, of all places, let's go to Hebrews 1. So this is interesting. So I want to show today to our listeners, wherever this is being broadcast, that you can resolve any issue in scripture by turning to Jesus. In the end of the book of Luke, Jesus opened the eyes of his disciples. They knew the scriptures, but they had no understanding. But Jesus had to open the key to their understanding. So we may have lots of controversies in our modern Christianity today regarding doctrines, how should I live my life? But my, my admonition to all those who are listening is that any scripture, apparent scriptural discrepancy or misunderstanding or contradiction or dichotomy can be easily resolved by turning to Jesus, who opens the eyes of our understanding. It says, then they knew the scriptures, yeah? Then they understood. In fact, let me go there first before I go on to um, Hebrews 1. Am I back in? Yeah, you're back. perfect. Okay. I don't know if you want to, let me just finish this, Andre, and I'll bring you back, yeah? Uh, I was just going to, I don't know if you were able to hear what I said earlier about Jesus opening the scriptures, yeah? So I was saying that uh, any doctrinal, scriptural uh, discrepancy, disparity, dichotomy, or whatever you see, yeah, or misunderstanding, can easily be resolved by turning to Jesus. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, And if you turn to Luke 24... And chapter, so chapter 24, verses 44. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which are written of in the law of Moses and in the prophets and, the, and in the Psalms concerning me. Jesus knew the scriptures. Now, I want you to, uh, our listeners to understand one thing. He didn't just know them mystically. He studied them from an early age. Look in the book of Luke when he was 12. He knew the scriptures. Look later on when it says, as was his custom when he was about to start his ministry. It means he was he was the reader. And you can learn from other parts of the Bible that Jesus meditated from a very early age and he learned the scriptures. Yeah? But anyway, our focus is on verse 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Can you see the scriptures are locked up? Jesus said, I speak to those outside in parables, but to you, to the disciples, yeah, it's it's for you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. He explained the parables to them, yeah? So we need to ask the Lord, why is it that the scripture appears to give the impression that there are two kinds of baptism there? Why is it appears to be a baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus? And why a baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? So, and then it goes on further, you know, to explain some of the points that were going to happen. But let's go to Hebrews 1, since we're sticking with Hebrews, since I'm sticking with Hebrews for the time being. So Hebrews 1. I don't know if anybody would like to read that for me. Uh, and I'm just looking for it now. Which bit, sorry? Hebrews 1. Yeah. 
Just bear with me. Chapter one, yeah? Yeah. Who is Jesus, yeah? So let's have a look at who Jesus is. I think, Andre, you used the, um, one of the uh, ideas you pointed to was that the fullness of God, if you like, of the Godhead is in Jesus, yeah? On earth, represented. And when he was here, was represented by Jesus. So God, uh, could, oh, well, okay. Reese, have you got the scripture? Uh, I've got Hebrews 1 open, yeah. Yeah, could you read from Hebrews 1, chapter, uh, verse 1? Yep. And yeah, up to verse 4, I think would be good. Oh, 4. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, it's got it open on the contemporary English version. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Uh, uh, this is long ago in many ways, and at many times, God's prophet spoke his message to our ancestors. But now at last, God sent his son to bring his message to us. God created the universe by his son, and everything will someday belong to the son. God's son has all the brightness of God's own glory and is like him in every way. By his own mighty word, he holds the universe together. After the son has washed away our sins, he sat down at the right side of the glory um, of the glorious God in heaven. He had become much greater than the angels, and the name he was given is far greater than any of theirs. Amen. Thank you for that, Reese. And there's lots of other scriptures. There's one that says, For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead. Yeah. Paul in one of his other letters. Um, uh, in the King James Version, it says. God has appointed, Jesus is the son whom God has appointed heir of all things, yeah? through whom he made the worlds. That is a planet, it's a universe, yeah? Everything that you see in the cosmos was made through Jesus, who being the, being the uh, brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. So here is one resolution to that controversy, yeah? If you take these scriptures, even if they were baptizing only in the name of Jesus, these scriptures are telling us that Jesus is representative of God yeah, on earth. But it doesn't command us in the scripture to baptize us in the name of Jesus. So the reason why they did it in the Old Testament, sorry, in the New Testament in the early church, we don't need to worry about that. That's history. Jesus said, we need to baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's commandment. Do you notice in the book of uh, Matthew, when I read it, he says that we ought to teach them, that the disciples ought to teach them all things what he had commanded. He didn't command them to baptize in the name of Jesus. He commanded them to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to leave that as a challenge to those who may be listening, who may be of that persuasion from churches that are Jesus only, or from churches maybe that believe in that baptism. Uh, we would love to hear from you if you can find a scripture that says that Jesus commanded us to uh, baptize future disciples or disciples in the church in, in his name, yeah? Or, or in the name of the Lord, or only in the way they were doing it, yeah? 
So what I'm saying is historically, although they were baptizing in the name of the, the of the Lord, there must have been a very good reason for that, yeah? But is that reason good enough to contradict what Jesus said? That is to go out and do all things he commanded and to, and to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, if you go down that route, you have to dismiss one side or the other. And if you try and dismiss, you end up in problems. Because then you can then people start making up, they try and get around the scriptures by saying, well, that is wrong when Jesus said, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That can't be there. That must have been added by someone. Maybe the Catholic Church. Or they try and twist things, yeah? And you can't do that. You can't get around the scripture by twisting what's clearly stated. Um, sorry, Andre, have you got something? Because you seem, I think you've got something to say. Can you hear that? Um, yeah, no. So um, we were talking about, so I'm, I'm assuming that we're talking to oneness Pentecostals and stuff like that, right? Yeah, it doesn't have to be them. It's anybody who, who believes. But gen I guess yeah. primarily those who, who are of that persuasion. Yeah. For me, it's it's not a problem because it's very easy to end up on all kinds of funny places in Scripture if you are if you read it just casually, naturally, and you're not guided by God, God's Spirit. There are apparent description uh, contradictions everywhere. Yeah, I would not affirm that. I would say that it's completely clear hmm. if uh, you under you have to start from the doctrine of the Trinity. If you don't start from the doctrine of the Trinity, you end up in all kinds of weird loops and weird uh, sects and cults. That's kind of what's happened. I mean, Jehovah's Witnesses. I mean, in the first three hundred years of the Church, we had nothing but people saying the same things that all these weird people, all these weird sects and cults say now. Uh, this is nothing new. We've dealt with this from the beginning. And, you know, the this is why we have the Nicene Creed. It's because we we hammered out, this is who we worship. If we don't worship the same, uh, if we don't worship the same God, then we're not part of the same church. Mm -hmm. And there is no way to, see, scripture can be reconciled, but different beliefs and different people having different doctrines you can't reconcile those two things together. You can't have two people believing different things and saying that they're part of the one faith and part of the same no, church. No. That doesn't work. No, no, I'm not saying that. No, what I'm against, Andre, is when people start, you know, there's a there's a misunderstanding of Scripture is one thing, yeah? Remember when we talked about those who are unskillful in the word in Hebrew? Okay. He says we need to leave the, the basic principles, yeah? Yeah, well, so what but what are saying? the basic principles i would say and to okay. me that would be the trinity that is the most basic principle that there is because the first like <laughs> moses when he talks to god he says what should i call you and he says i am that i am right so the most basic principle of the old testament is that god is self-existent he relies on nothing else mm -hmm. and he is one this is why but remember you know, they begin the shema right yeah but remember god revealed himself on earth through jesus christ yeah so yeah it's not possible to know the father the holy spirit it was the son yeah i know e even in the old testament you know you have the angel of the lord and the spirit of uh, the angel of yahweh and the spirit of yahweh so the trinity is in the old testament too Absolutely. i'm just i'm i'm what i'm saying is that what made the jews different from everybody else is their conception of god mm -hmm. he's not 
so if you look at the time that Judaism was coming about, you had all these different, well, everybody was heathens and pagans, right? And if you looked at their gods, their gods were actually like fighting against each other. And all of them were basically about the same level of power. It's just that they would fight each other and try and usurp each other's thrones. So this is why when, you know, when Abraham comes and Melchizedek and all these people, they refer to their, to God as El Elyon, hmm. the most high God, the one that even all the gods on earth cannot reach. God of gods. The Lord God of God. gods, right? And Lord of so, lords. And Lord of lords, right, exactly. So in order to <laughs> be part of that nation of Israel, you first must start with who are you worshipping? Because you cannot, you cannot fulfill the first commandment unless you have the correct definition of who God is. You can't be a oneness Pentecostal. You can't be a Jehovah's Witness. You can't be a Mormon. You can't be all of these things and claim to be a Christian. It's not possible because you break the first and the second commandment. If you break the first and the second commandment, I'm sorry, that doesn't work. How are you going to do that? <laughs> That's not going to work, right? So this is why we start from the Trinity, not just because we're made. It's not something that the Catholic Church made up. No, it's in the Bible. Yeah. Um, yes. I don't know. Absolutely. The, the, yeah. the church. I'm not saying, um, for once that it came from the Catholic Church. And yeah. No, but a lot of people do. I'm not saying you do that. A lot of these, you know, uneducated people who haven't read. And I, and I don't want to sound arrogant here. But it does sound demeaning, yeah? Because I, I, I don't want to sound arrogant. I want to say this in a nice way before you attribute uh certain things to the catholic church because as we know people in protestant circles and in uh, evangelical circles have and, and catholics as well they both don't like each other because of historical um tensions and, and, and uh you know killings on each side right so that's been carried down generation to generation so there's a divide between it now both of you affirm the trinity right that's one thing you both affirm so the fact that you've got these two people fighting against each other that's something you have to think about in your head why are two people that believe in the trinity two groups of people why are they fighting against each other so much okay that's one thing the second thing i want to say is before you attribute all the bad stuff in the religion that, that you have to one group you know scapegoating one group uh, where have we heard that type of thing before um you should firstly read up. This is what it means by don't be, uh, you know, you should move on to perfection. You shouldn't be always just looking at the same basic thing. You should, if you're living in the modern world, you have GCSEs, you have A-levels, you can read. Everybody has the ability to read now. Back in the early days of Christianity, people couldn't read. Mm. We are so blessed in that way that we can read, we can write. We can uh, get things on the internet for free. Like you can look at PDFs. You can look, you can Google search anything. You are the most privileged generation. And yet, if you don't look into history, you're doing yourself a disservice. That's what it means to stay as a babe. You're not looking into different things because of whatever reason. You need to look into the early history of the church. Where does the idea of the Trinity come from? because there wasn't scriptures written down. There were scriptures sang and chanted from church to church. But how did the church guard itself from Arianism, the idea that Jesus and uh, God are two different beings? How did it guard itself from that? How did it guard itself from the idea that um, 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all the same people, modalism, which is something that also comes up today sometimes. How did it guard itself against all these different things? If you look into that, you'll begin to see exactly how the church got past that. And I would, I would encourage every single person to look into that because it's not hard. It's really like anybody can do it. You don't have to be an intellectual. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to do anything. It's, it's, it's translated in nice, plain English for everyone. I'm not a philosopher. I'm not anything. I'm just a guy who reads stuff on the internet. Okay. I'm just a guy who reads his Bible, reads books. That's it. Okay. If I can read it, then you can read it. You have no excuse now. So now if you do something and you know it's the truth and you don't do it, that's a sin unto you now. You should be reading up. Okay. Well, some good points, some very passionate points there, Andre. Um, I would say this is true. There is truth to that. Um, and it's something that I'm, I'm more aware of now. And I think it's only because Andre <laughs> is with us. It's just like, yeah, like if you, um, I think there was a saying that has like, if you observe church history, you'll end up um, guarding yourself from the errors that was made back then. But if you, yeah, if you're, or if you overlook it, then yeah, you end up making the same errors that was made back then. But yeah, you do end up going, so, oh, okay, so where does this come from? I guess it's because um, I'm trying to become more disciplined in like exegesis and stuff like that. So the automatic thing is to to go and look back. So you look at, okay, so um, even little things like, oh, yeah, so where do we get our Bibles come from? How did they get to that sort of thing? Oh, okay, the manuscripts, and you go going even further back and further back and looking into cultures and trying to understand all those sorts of things. And yeah, it's, also, it's the same thing you said, like we are very blessed now in the fact that um, – that even I only have to go back say like 50 years like in our denomination or in our church like there's people who didn't know how to read or write and they didn't have the internet and those sorts of things but they were able to make moves and establish themselves in you know the country and all that sort of stuff but then um as we moved on the the knowledge stuff hasn't grown it's just kind of stayed within that premise whereas like now say like I've got far more far more stuff that like back then you'd probably have to pay thousands of thousands of pounds for but I've got it, you know, I can walk around and just, oh, let me look at this. I've got like nine different Bible apps that all do different things. And I've got the internet, so I can look at this and look at this. And there's, oh, yeah, you got YouTube to understand why this is just like, yeah, I pretty much have no excuse to be in a place where I am um, spiritually immature. Like, it shouldn't be a case where, you know, I am siding with false teachers. Like, and it's one of those things that I've noticed because um, I made the points earlier, and I guess I would say, but like, same with the social media stuff. Social media is very good, but when you're for us as Christians, um, it's really, really, it's one of my biggest bugbears at the moment. It's just that there are false teachers on there who preach nothing that's consistent with scriptures. And you just look at all the, um, all the comments, it's yes, amen, amen. You know, um, this really touched my life. Um, you know, and there's one that was completely hypocritical. It's like, oh, I see nothing problematic with this preacher. It's like, oh, it's funny you should say that because other people are saying something about it. It's just like, why, why is it that, you know, millions upon millions upon millions of Christians are just going in droves to these people um, and they're not checking to see whether these things are true. And if, like I said before, like if you point out heresy, they'll consider the fact that you point out that heresy as heresy. So it's, it's, there is this definite need for um, for Christians to be mature because, like, it's gotten to the point now where, like, I was discussed it with um, Pranvia uh, earlier in the week that that we know we're just we're declaring 
spiritually dead people who still have the wrath of God on their heads as Christians. It's gotten that bad because there is no understanding, no understanding whatsoever. And then the generations behind them then picked it up and it just continues going on and on and on. It's just like, well, at one point do you go, oh, hold on, let me start testing these things. Where am I in the face? Do I understand this? You know, is there, you know, problems in my positions and sort of things like that. And it's like, yeah, it's like, and um, Andre says, like, when you begin to, those people that you thought, oh, yeah, you know what, um, these people who I used to use as a scapegoat or used to throw this things, like, actually, no, there's a, we actually have more in common than I thought. And it's because it's like, oh, okay, I understand that now that there's more to this, that, um, yeah, I can, like, okay, here's a good example. This, uh, the theosis thing. <laughs> um, knee-jerk reaction to hearing that was just like, oh, it's like when we, when I went and I hear little gods, it's like, oh yeah, you know, it's totally not scripture. And then when Andre brought it up, my knee-jerk reaction was, well, no, no, hope, like, but then like looking into it, it's like, no, actually, now I understand the position. It's like we actually agree with a lot of stuff on that. But then you see the errors where it's just like, you know, your Kenneth Copelands and your your Stephen Foots and all these people, just like, you know, none of us are saying that we. Um, we become literal gods. It's just that we we stay as humans, but then we get entwined within um, the nature as we participate. We transformed. The scripture yeah. doesn't talk it in that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's just about being transformed into the image of Christ. You know, to yeah, yeah, yeah. But participating in the nature, in the divine nature, is what it says. So what yeah, we yeah. mean by that is just the grace. Of God becomes intertwined with you, not His, not his, what He's made out of. Because, because then if you do that, then you do become like, uh, uh, like a, a member of the Trinity. We're not saying that. Yeah, yeah, We're no, that's that the it, thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and I totally agree with that. And it's something I sat down with today, and it's just like, but the thing is, it's like the the part about you know us becoming into um, becoming part of that Trinity is something that's actually taught today. Hmm. It's actually taught today. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's actually wow. taught today. Not in our church specifically, but you know, Kenneth Copeland, he teaches that um Creflo Dollar he's he's um one that's been teaching as well uh Joyce Meyer she's taught it also really? you know, yeah 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 um wow. uh Stephen Furtick has had leanings on that as well it's just like you know but these people you know have been saying oh you know they okay you might consider that you know they might have problematic problems with them but you know that like, everything they're saying is great but yeah but a broken clock you know is twice um, is right twice a day. That doesn't necessarily mean it's something you should be worth listening to. But it's again, it's the maturity thing of, oh, okay, I've heard this. Let me go check if it's true. Like, is is the scripture the most you know authoritative thing that we have, considering you know its author is the Holy Spirit? So, if the fact that the Holy Spirit is its author, then everything should fall in line with what scripture says. But if it goes outside, yeah, it doesn't get called out. It's just like, oh, you know. We'll just leave it now nah, just leave it now nah, you're just being too harsh or now nah, you need to listen to more of this i'm just like no there's more than enough people out there that are saying that these these wolves are here but you know they say no nah, just leave them amongst the flock yeah you may have killed like two or three people but it's fine it's totally fine in the grand scheme of things it's like nah it's yeah it's uh oh well going back to the social media thing it's um it's even more prevalent with those especially the younger ones because by by and large the, the way that things have shifted in the media is that you don't even need um, long format stuff now to shift out information. You only need 60 seconds, 30 seconds at best. So it's like, well, so somebody could say something that sounds great and it gets shared virally, but nothing that is shared 
it's consistent with scripture but it's been going around as if it's gospel yeah so it kind of shows that the emphasis on how much we need to be mature but also be discerning mm. i would highly recommend that if you can either watch debates on youtube between mm. you know reputable people or even you can read actually like debates that are you know from like a thousand two hundred years ago a thousand four hundred years ago we have these like these debates are written down so you can see what it was like when an early christian was debating with a jew on a, a certain topic you, you, these are written down so we know what the early christians were saying to the jews uh, we know what the early christians were saying to the greeks we know what the, i mean besides the bible we there's like a whole you can look at what the christians were saying you can see how they quoted scripture and said this is what we believe this is how we believe it this is why you're wrong this is you know so there's again it's really just about it you need to learn just like how at school in primary school you learned how to read and write and do the letters you need to learn a theological toolkit to become because now the faith is under such attack that if you aren't like in apologist mode if you don't have mm. scriptures ready to go if you aren't ready to provide a reason as to why you believe in the faith you're going to get trampled on and it's mm. it's just you can't you can't afford to sit on the sidelines anymore i'm sorry it's nice being uh going to sunday and uh you know having a little sing, having a little dance all this kind of stuff but if you don't have the knowledge to back it up i'm sorry it's just you can't afford to do that anymore we're losing people because you don't have knowledge people are dying because they don't have knowledge spiritually dying i mean okay mm. and sometimes physically too but the point is you can't you can't afford to sit on the sidelines and believe in feel good christianity and motivational speech for christianity um there is no oh the kingdom of god is within inside you you can become a god because he's inside no there's no time for that you have to be ready to give an answer to them if you don't give an answer to these people if you don't fight off these heresies with all you've got i mean the judgment day is coming and if you if you're going to sit and give an account of that and you said oh well i didn't want to seem rude oh i didn't want to seem like i was arrogant and by the way i'm saying you should do this in love but oh yeah 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 you know but if you don't <laughs> if you don't fight off heresy with all you've got you're going to have to give an account for that you know if you know how to fight off a heresy and you don't do it that's a sin now that's what i'm that's the biggest parts of this if you know that you should do something yet you don't do it in revelation it says that the cowards sit outside of the kingdom of god right so you become a coward I'm, I'm sorry it's it's hard to say it but the bible's harsh it doesn't use nice language sometimes i mean jesus himself says let the be dead bury the dead if i said that to someone they'd be like you're a harsh guy and mm. i'd be like well this this is there's no more time for feminine a fem and by when i well, i mean effeminate christianity yeah, yeah, yeah. christianity is not a soft religion it's not made for the, for when i say weak i mean it's not made for people who are pushovers we're not pushovers we're not dimmies we're not slaves we're not people who are uh, uh, afraid of death we shouldn't be afraid of death so if you're a pushover and you're weak you've got to you've got to start reading up you've got to start learning more about the faith that's what it means to be a babe if you're not ready to die you're a babe mm. sorry that's just how it is no, I think it's, it's, it's as, almost as serious as that. It's just like, it would be such a shame. And like it's, and, and it's not ignoring like God's willing at all, but like if you were to be a fatalist, imagine if all of Christian history 
were to fall on the 21st century, knowing that everything that's going on and it were to just fail within our midst, knowing that we have a responsibility to carry it through. Preservation has been a thing from the very start. Hmm. It's, been a, it's been a thing from the very start, but it seems to be deteriorating. At the moment, it feels like those who are trying to uphold it, yeah, they're certainly being sidelined, but they're being turned on by their own, who you would think to be their own. Hmm. So it's just like, well... <laughs> I, I concur with all of that. I mean, I think there's no doubt that there is a spiritual battle going on, yeah? Uh, but this spiritual battle is in the mind, yeah? It's in the mind because Satan doesn't need to, to bring in weapons of mass destruction, if I can use that expression to destroy the Christian church, yeah? He just needs to bring in spiritual tools, a little social media, a little doctrine, yeah? There's a scripture in the Old Testament, it says the little foxes spoil the vine, yeah? So that's what's destroying Christianity, uh, so-called Christianity. Christianity is not destroyed, but churches are being destroyed that, that profess to know Christ, yeah? Why are they being destroyed? Because they're little foxes. Gender uh, issues, uh, you know, first it started off with, can we have female pastors? Can we have female bishops? And now we ended up where... Where are we now? It's same-sex marriage. Mm. You know, and it, it, it's little by little by little, yeah? These things come across. So when you give the enemy a foothold, he'll just keep pulling and pulling and pulling, yeah? Once a church or an organization that professes to know Jesus gives ground on scripture, gives a little foothold in error, Satan has come through the door. He will just keep pulling and pulling and pulling. And guess what? 50 years later, 10 years later, five years later, two months later, that church is in error. Can mm -hmm. be in error. But the Bible sort of also tackles it from two points. One is from an, uh, like a, an ecclesia, yeah, from a church, yeah, but mm -hmm. also more specifically from individuals. Paul's right, uh, the letter of Hebrews here is talking about the individuals, yeah, within the local body. He's saying that there's a danger that if you become, in, it's not that they were babes in Christ, it's they were almost like they were mature and they were backwards. They were backsliding. That's what the real danger was in, in this uh, Hebrews congregation. They went backwards and they went backwards because of persecution. It was very easy to slip back into the Judaism that they came from. That's what Paul was warning against. That's what mm. this writer is saying. It was so easy to slip back and be Jewish again. No one would batter an eye, uh, you know, um, an eyelid if they went back and they started doing those things. You wouldn't even know who's who's a Christian or not. That's what the offense was. That's where the danger was, and that's where it was. Uh, there was uh, there was sliding back into Judaism in order to avoid persecution. But the writer is really trying to tell them, don't do that. Because the danger is you can end up crucifying Christ twice. You can become an apostate. And that's why he goes on to say, in, um, there's a very important key verse here in verse three. And this will we do, you know, we will go on to maturity if God permits, which I'll come back to. But then there's a danger. He's saying, if you don't go on to maturity, Here's the danger. He says, for it is impossible for those who have once 
who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and of the powers of the world to come if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put into an open shame. Yeah? So there is a danger that people that profess to know Christ, if they don't keep in step with him and they start, I'm not just talking sinning, you know, because Jesus is our high priest. He can forgive sin. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about people sinning. We all sin. Yeah. I'm not talking about that. We can repent. I'm talking about the hard heart. Once people retain in sin, the heart gets harder and harder and harder. There is a cutoff point. Yeah. So you see, when, when a person starts sliding back or backsliding, there's forgiveness. If they keep going further back and further back and further back, there's a point. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. There is a point at which repentance can become impossible. Now, there's lots of debate and argument about this. has been through the centuries, probably. Certainly in the last century, I know. Uh, lots of discussion and debate about these scriptures. But here's my point. If we don't mature, we may end up going backwards and becoming apostate. That's what the danger is. Go forwards with Christ, yeah, our high priest. And if you look at the end of the chapter, it calls him the forerunner. It says, um, talks about the immutability of, of, you know, it talks about wonderful things about who Melchizedek was, and it talks, bring, brings it back to Jesus again, you see? And it says from verse 18, 19, yeah? Well, let's go from 18. It says um, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. That hope is Jesus, yeah? Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth that within the veil, whither, where the forerunner has entered in for us, even Jesus. So Jesus has gone through this earthly life, suffered everything, everything we would be tempted in, and has made a way into the temple of heaven, yeah, to God. Why did he do that? For you and me. So that you, whatever you, you're tempted with, whether it's persecution, even as we are speaking now, there are Christians being persecuted around the world. We don't suffer, we don't know what persecution is. Really, not truly in the West. But there are, even in Ukraine, I would say, Christians are suffering there. Um, mm. We don't know what that is here. It's so easy for us to just slip back into our old lifestyles here. No one would battle them. It's such a diluted society. Yeah. Christianity is in, they don't know what true Christianity is. It's so easy to go into another church that professes to be a Christian church, but really the truth of the gospel isn't there. Mm -hmm. So easy to go into and relax and sit there, go there every Sunday. No one's going to bother me. No one's going to persecute me. I'm comfortable here. Yet I'm still a Christian. Wow, I made it. That's the danger the writer of Hebrews is telling. He says, don't do that. You've got to stand up for what you believe, as Andre was saying earlier. You can't be afraid of death. Mm -hmm. How is this possible? Remember, you always bring Jesus into the picture. And I'd like to finish on Stephen, yeah? Because this is important. Now, Andre mentioned about we have references from history about apologetics. Yeah, we ought to uh, be defending the faith. The first one to do that was Stephen in the Jewish tradition. Yeah, 
he gave a very lengthy, detailed historical account from the book of, from all of the Old Testament to show who Jesus was. And he, he stood for the truth against those guys who instigated these lies against him, false witnesses, one of whom was Paul. I can show you from scripture, Paul was one of the ringleaders who conspired his death, who raised, probably raised up the false witnesses, yeah? He says, I gave my voice to those who stood up against it, yeah? He was one of the, and little did he know, he was contradicting the law of Moses while he was doing that. You know, giving false witness was one of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? Mm. But he did that, thinking he was doing God's service. So my point is this, yeah? Everything he did was he, he, he was a witness. So, you know, we talk about apologetics and history, yeah? The Bible talks about that, but in a more direct way, it's being a witness. I need to be a witness. Now, who is going to help me to be a witness? The Spirit of God. Jesus said, but you will receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses to me. Your physical strength will be drained. Your mental strength and your knowledge will be gone. Your anxiety will be high. Your, you will be completely like water. But in the midst of that, the Spirit of God comes in and makes you stand. Gives you a boldness and a strength beyond yourself. Just like Daniel when he's fasting. When he saw the angel, they all, when they saw an angel, just turned to jelly, yeah? But the hand came up and lifted him and put him on his feet. He says, now I'll speak to you. So it is being a witness before this world, yeah? If we get dragged before people, it's not the physical man that's strong and tough that's going to be the flesh that's going to testify. History tells us that people who gave their testimonies, as Andre mentioned, Jesus says, don't premeditate. Whatever you need to say will be given to you at that hour. But I keep bringing this point back. Jesus, if you have a misunderstanding of doctrine or scripture, you need Jesus. If you need the power to be a witness, you need Jesus. If you want to serve your ministry in God, you need Jesus. He has laid all the patterns for the Christian in the New Testament. But he reveals it to us by his spirit. He empowers it, makes it alive for us through the Holy Spirit, just like he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He didn't need any of that, but he did it for us. We need to be baptized. Why did he need to be baptized? Because of ministry, he wanted to show that every Christian who needs to serve God needs to be empowered by God. There's no way we're going to take on Satan by arguments of the flesh, by historical knowledge. That guy has knowledge. He's got understanding. He's got wisdom. We're told that he's wise. We're not going to take him on. Just like the people who were attacking Stephen, it says, but they could not resist the wisdom nor the spirit by which he spake, because the Holy Spirit was, was taking them on. But there's a heavy price to pay. Even though he won the arguments, even though he stood up, guess what? He lost his life. So that's the challenge, you know, brothers and, and sisters and those who are listening. I, you know, I would encourage, my main encouragement is, if you feel like that the Bible seems contradictory, it's not. You just need to go back to the author. Mm. You know, just go back to the author who's given to us, who lives in us. We just need to pray and ask him to make us understand his word rather than to use necessarily commentaries commentaries are good i'm not saying don't use them but first and foremost 
let's go to God and ask him to resolve the mysteries that are there. And those are my my words for now. Uh, yeah. Back over to you, gentlemen. Yeah, no, I would say uh, I agree with I agree with that. Um, the only thing I would add on to that, uh, you know, complimentary would be um, you. And I fail at this all the time because I failed at this through the whole podcast as well. But uh, if you can't do things in love, don't do it <laughs> because everything relies on. I mean, the whole of the law relies on love of the neighbor and as yourself and love of God. So if you can't, if you can't reconcile with your family after a fight, you shouldn't go to church until you, until you sort out the things in your life, until you are loving your family, loving your neighbors, loving your community, loving everybody around you, you, your sacrifices in church mean nothing to God. In fact, they are like, it, it says that uh, the smell of the, those uh, sacrifices given with a with a, an arrogant heart are just horrible. He doesn't like that. So before you go to church, you should be thinking about mending things with people around you, reconciling with people around you. You should be thinking about apologizing, trying to make people's life better, trying to um, love people with a, with a Christian love. We don't mean like a just let them do whatever they want. We mean like, you know, love as in like the Christian way. Um, and that means being kind gentle, long-suffering, all these things that Paul writes about how to be loving. If you, That's what the beginning is, really. If you can't get that part right, there's no point in moving on to uh, going to church, preaching, teaching, apologetics. None of that stuff matters if you can't get the basics right. In fact, me, myself, I probably shouldn't really be doing this, if I'm being honest, because I haven't even got that stuff done yet. I'm not even married. Like, I don't know anything about anything, right? So, like... I shouldn't really be teaching you anything. So the point is, is that maturity comes from how you can love people in God, right? If you can't love people in God, then you can't do anything. There is no point in trying to do miracles, no point in trying to speak in tongues. If you try to speak in tongues and you've still had a fight with your wife, I'm sorry, you that doesn't count. <laughs> you have to be... Uh, repentant you have to be loving people around you then you can do what you know then god will if he wills he will let you do things it's all about what because in the our father we say let thy will be done mm. on earth in heaven all right on earth as it is in heaven right so it's about submitting not in a calvinistic way uh but it's about <laughs> <laughs> it's about submitting to the will of god if he wills it you can do it it's not you you can't god is not a magician you can't just call him, hey, do this, do this for me, do that, do that, right? No, he does it as he wills. If it's needed in the situation, if you've been repentant, if you've been loving the people around you, as he wills. And you know what? Sometimes it may just be better for you to um, suffer. That's something you have to be okay with as a Christian. You have to be okay with, you know, God might just let you suffer. Because look at the uh, look at when Nero and... Um, uh, Diocletian and all these early Roman emperors were, uh, you know, trying to get rid of Christianity. In fact, one part of our service that we have in, in the Orthodox Church is there's a point where the priest goes, the doors, the doors, right? In wisdom, let's attend, right? What that's hearkening back to is in the, when the Christians were under the underground, the Romans were trying to break through the doors. So all the, when, when the priest said the doors, the doors, 
all the Christians would run to the door and like hold the door shut as the Romans were trying to break through. So if you want to be a Christian, you have to get used to suffering. I'm sorry. That's just kind of how it is. Uh, and it may be that you have to suffer more than others, or it may be that you, you don't have to suffer as much and you can, but whatever it is, you have to submit to it. That's just, it's called cross bearing. If Jesus can bear a cross, then you have to bear a cross. That's just the, that's just what Christianity is. Sorry. It's not all, uh, daisies and roses. It's, that's just not what Christianity is. Um, but yeah, in love, that's the key. <laughs> not like me. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I agree with what you say. Cause it's, it's one of those things where it's one of the things that, um, scripture points to like the fact that you say, you know, you can't, you can't have this inconsistency because where does it, where does the love come from? Do you know, where does this agape love come from? It comes from the God that we serve. Mm. It comes from a transformed heart. Like, you know, there's, I think one uh, thing I heard uh, this month is like, oh, um, it's said, oh, you know, you might be right, but you, you don't have to be ugly with it. And it's true. It's like you have, there is this, this uh, duality of um, truth and grace, because it's like, you know, there is, it's, there is a duality to it where, you know, if you have a doctor, you just go, oh, you know, um, do you want to just try out some of this treatment, radioactive treatment, you know, because, um, no, it's really good. You know, it's better than the ones that you have like next door, you know, you've got a hundred percent, um, you know, success rate. And it's like, well, what do I need it for? As far as I'm aware, I'm, I'm fine. So, like, well, okay. And you know what, if we're honest, the truth of it is, you know, you've got cancer. Yeah. It's a bad thing, but we actually have the right things to be able to deal with it. Like Christianity is the same way. So it's, you know, what, it, it might be. You know, yeah, the gospel is um, offensive in the sense that, you know, it kind of shows every human being who they are, at what stance they are with, um, you know, with the, with the Holy God, um, what the repercussions of that are. But then, you know, that's where the good news comes in. It's just that, you know, you don't have to suffer all of this because somebody's actually taking your place within all of this. Um, yeah, but it's all in love. Like, yeah, we should be operating in love. Like, you know, the disciple, Jesus said to the disciple, you know, you should, you'll be known because of your love. Like the fact that, you know, the fruits of the spirit, love is one of the most significant things. It's something that Paul stresses with the Corinthians. Um, and, you know, with the, the fact that you you see how all of these fruits work out with the, just the narrative of scripture. And, you know, you can't have these inconsistencies mm. where, you know, because, yeah, you have these gifts that are, shared externally via the, the word of the Holy Spirit, but then like we've discussed in the past, there are fruits that we bear when you're attached to the vine. And like Jesus says, you can't bear these outside of me. You can't, you can't do this if you're not abiding in me. And if you're proclaiming to be a Christian, but then you're not bearing these fruits. So, okay, well, let's just go back and see almost like, not once in the necessary maturity thing, but yeah, let's just go back. Let's see, you know, how we can disciple each other. To grow in these things because i guess that's another thing we we lack um and i don't know what to what scale but they're just like generally discipling each other you know how are you getting on with this oh you're struggling with such and such oh you know what um this person has struggled with the same thing let's go alongside them or you know we'll pray about it we'll go through scripture and we'll see what things to do like those sorts of things don't necessarily happen um but yeah it's 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 like, it's like you said it's it's going it's all submitting to to God's will, like we are the, um, out of all creation, we are the only ones who 
second guess <laughs> God's instructions. Everybody else goes like, yes, and amen, just walk with it. Which, um, I don't know, I don't really agree with that. So, no, like, like it's, regardless of where we stand on, you know, human will and stuff like that, it still needs to be in submission to God's will. Because if Jesus can certainly do it, then we have no excuse. Absolutely. And uh, if I could just add a final point from me, um, you know, we agree it's love, yeah? We, we mm. have to demonstrate. I, I would argue that Jesus Christ represented a human being with perfect love, yeah? The perfect model of what love is. Loving God, loving your neighbor was Jesus, yeah? Mm. Well, even in the world, they use this, oh, the Bible teaches you to love God, you know, you should love your neighbor. You know, they use that scripture wrongfully because loving your neighbor is not what they think it is. The perfect human being, yeah, who taught us about loving our neighbor was Jesus Christ, yeah? Uh, in all of these scriptures, you will see that the end of the commandment is Jesus. End of every chapter, every verse is Jesus. So Hebrews uh, 6, look what it says. Where the forerunner is entered for us, Jesus, yeah? When Paul talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts to the church, where does he end up with? Love. Mm. Look at the word charity carefully. Who is that? He speaks like if it's a person. Yeah? In fact, I'll read it to show you that it's actually Jesus that Paul is reading about. He says, charity suffers long, yeah? And is kind. Now, if you personify charity, it's Jesus. You could easily change that word for Jesus. Jesus suffered long and is kind. Envy is not, yeah? Jesus did not envy. Jesus did not puff himself up. Yeah, Jesus did not boast. He did not behave himself rudely or unseemly. He did not seek his own. He was not easily provoked. He thought no evil. He did not rejoice in iniquity, but he rejoiced in the truth. He bore all things, believed all things, hoped all things, endured all things. He never failed. That's where Paul got his model from. Christ is the end of the law. Christ is the end of the commandment. Whatever we as humans need to be is Jesus. So this um, theosis idea, yeah? it's in scripture that we are to be Christ-like. Now, it's going to start with Christians loving Christians because there's a problem. By this shall all men you will know that you're my disciples, Jesus said. The unsaved, the unchristians, the unbelievers will know you're my disciples if you have loved one to, toward another that means all denominations who claim that they are christians must have a love for other christians mm. we are all in error in scripture in some place or other yeah but the commandment still tells us that love is superior love covers the multitude of sins yeah mm -hmm. so my brother who may be from a different church who may be from a different persuasion but if he's truly a christian I have a duty to salute him, Paul says, and to love him. I shouldn't be saying, oh, he's a Baptist, or he's Pentecostal, he's a oneness, I'm this, I'm, he's a Catholic, he's a Protestant, he's an evangelical. The Bible uses no such language. It's just believers. He's a believer. He's a brother. He's a, she's a sister. They're mothers and fathers. I must show the love of Christ, first and foremost, yeah, charity begins at home. 
the love for Christ must begin in the church, yeah? That we love each other as brothers. Let's care for those who are suffering around the world. Let's find out what's happening to Christians. Let's not be just worried about my bills here, you know, about my job. There are people worried about their lives, Christians, around the world. And we are worried about how am I going to pay my bill? Now, I'm not saying that's not distressing. And I'm not saying you shouldn't pray and care about that. You should. But compared to someone about to lose their lives, we should be praying. The writer of Hebrew tells us to remember those who are in prison. As if, I think it's the last chapter 13, maybe if I might have got the wrong one, it might be Paul, where he says, remember those who are in prison, as if bound with them. That's where I think we'll make the difference. The world can't see any difference until they see Jesus. They will not see any difference in doctrine. That's not going to touch them, doctrine. It's the power of God being demonstrated through the church, just like in the New Testament, that when they looked at them, they saw Jesus. They didn't say, well, this guy is from the church of Jerusalem. This one belongs to the sect of Paul or Peter. They didn't care about that. It was just one church. And God, I believe, wants to give that one church, you know, I think we will start to become one church as time in the close of this end of this age, yeah? I think this church, the church that we are in worldwide will start to become one under, sadly, under oppression and perhaps persecution. And I'm not saying we should go and uh, look for that, you know. I'm not at all saying that. But I think the way things are heading, if you read the media, if you see what's going on, you should see there are things changing rapidly in every city, town and place here in, in, in England. Mm -hmm. You could just have to read the billboard and you can see what's going on. Sooner or later, you and I are going to have to stand for what we believe because there is pressure coming for being a Christian. You could sit at home and, and be a Christian, you know, but they won't even let us sit at home and be a Christian anymore. That's where it's, where it's heading. You, no longer can you sit quietly in a job and say, you know, just get on with everyone and then not mention who you, whether you're a Christian or not. You know, but now, unfortunately, we're being put into a corner where you have to testify. You have to, like Andre was saying, defend the faith. You have to stand up and be a witness for what you believe. Okay, brothers, over to you, Reese. Yes, I'll wind it down, but I'll just on the back of what you were saying, I guess it's one thing that I've mentioned in the past, and it, yeah, the fact that, you know, like with, with regards to persecution, yeah, certainly don't go looking for it, but it, we should definitely be fully armoured. It's better for us to be fully armoured in um, a field of lilies than to be naked on a battlefield. It's just, you know, a given. We have, at this point, we, yeah, we're not experienced like major persecution, but this should be the time that we are getting in that mindset of, okay, what is more, what is the ultimate priority for me? Like, what am I willing to give up um, that I idolize more than Christ? And, you know, can I get that same level of faith that the, the, um, the early church had so I can, you know, follow in the same because footsteps? The biggest thing, if I can just interject, Reese, it's not the fear. It's not the fear of the world. It's not greed. It's not lust. It's none of those things, really. It's self. Mm. It's always self that needs to be put down. No man can be my disciple unless he denies himself. Jesus said, "The biggest challenge is self." We need to go back into our closets 
and surrender our lives to the Lord Jesus afresh and say, Lord, I'm your servant. I'm going to lay down my life. If I have to stop watching TV, yeah, I'm spending three hours on my phone. You can read your screens, by the way. It tells you how many hours you've spent on your phone. I want you to compare how many hours you, you spent on screen reading God's word or independently away from the screen. How long time, what, how long did we, did, and I'm including myself, how long did I spend in prayer with God alone? How long did I watch Netflix for or one of the other channels, yeah, in the week? If we want to be serious about the gospel, we got to be like those people like John Wesley who would get up at four in the morning to train his ministers. Four in the morning, four hours of prayer or something, yeah, before they even started the day. We don't know what it means to be a Christian in those like those Christians. We're not going to turn the world upside down. We're not going to be influential in this country until we rediscover our history and learn from the men who actually laid down their lives for the gospel. First, my life, I must surrender this flesh, this body to the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, I'm your vessel, use me. Well, if I'm sitting in front of a, what am I reading? What am I eating? What, what is my focus and my attention on all the time? Where do I spend my time and talent? Until that's surrendered, forget, forget being influential. Yeah, You will never be able to take on the enemy or, or the world and preach the gospel. No man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. If I'm training to be a minister, but I've got habits and things that I'm doing that are not right in my life, I'm never going to be fit for the kingdom. So it begins in my closet. Basic things. Lord Jesus, forgive me, I've sinned against you today. Lead me not into temptation. Father, let your kingdom come into my life. I surrender my life to you, dear Father. I want to be, I, want, I, feel, I pity my neighbors, I pity my family who don't know you. How can I make a difference, Lord? Well, here I am. Use me. Turn me, Lord. That's what makes the difference. Not, I'm going to study six hours of this. I'm going to listen to this preacher for this, this, these kind of messages. What good is it listening to a preacher if you haven't surrendered your life to Christ? It's just head knowledge. The one who we are following is the Lord Jesus. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus said, fishermen, yeah? And I don't mean, that includes obviously women who are called into ministry. I don't mean that in that way. So think to yourself, what's going on through my mind? How much of my mind did I spend on God? How many thoughts did I actually concentrate this week? How long did I spend in God's word? How long did I spend in prayer? Did I pray for my neighbors? Did I hear from God? Am I being led by God's Holy Spirit? Was I used of God? Am I empowered? This is the challenge for us brothers today. And that's, I'm going to end on that one, Reese, and I'll hand that back to you. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, we'll wind you up here. Um, I want to thank you guys for joining back um, as we're kicking off we've decided to consider as season three of uh, 6060. Uh, we've been planning on for, well, two more months and it'll be a year since it's all started. <laughs> we've gone through a fair lot 
but I guess there's going to be far more things that we're uh, we're going to dig into. But um, I very much appreciate your time and for allowing us to to break up with the weather garden to not only uncover the truth but also to um, share what's burning on our hearts. Because I think yeah, if things are left in the closets long enough. And it will just materialize in a different way. Um, and yeah, one, the one thing I wanted to say off the back of what you mentioned earlier was like in terms of this um, this uh, pseudo thought of the fact that we have this area of neutrality. Like we are called to be light and salt. And if we are trying our best to stay hidden as light, the only way for us to be more noticeable is for things to get very dark. <laughs> And I feel almost as if things are going in that trajectory that, you know, it's going to be made impossible to the point where it's just like, well, okay, like you said this thing, usually it's Christians that say that sort of like we're, we're given the opportunity to, to proclaim him. And it's, it, it's obviously like great for us to have that opportunity to be able to share it with, with others, but it's also having that, that mindset that, you know, or, and to be, walking in the spirit to, to have that desire for others to partake in the same thing that we are. Um, but yeah, there's loads of other things that we could say, but um, you know, I'd just like to thank you guys for coming out to, to dig into this one. And I want to thank everyone who has certainly journeyed on with us, not just in this session, but in every session leading up to this point. And I hope you continue to journey with us as we continue on further. So without any further ado, I'd like to thank Andre and Premier for attending tonight. Um, and thank you everyone for listening. And until the next one, uh, take care and God bless. Thank you.